Hey friends, this is Tina Turner. Thanks for tuning in today to the More Precious Than Gold podcast, where we will examine God's Word each episode and find that it is trustworthy, true, and always more precious than gold. In this episode, we'll be looking at Psalm 32 and considering God's incredible forgiveness. I recently taught this lesson at The Gathering, our women's ministry meeting at my church. We had such a wonderful time as we shared together the importance of God's forgiveness. I would like for you to consider this as we go through our lesson this week. What does God's forgiveness mean to you personally? What does it look like? when you know that someone is trying to hide their sin or cover it up or blame it on someone else. In this lesson, we're going to learn that God forgives sin completely. There's no need for us to run and hide and try to cover our sin. God is merciful and full of grace. God loves us with an unfailing love. And even though we fail Him, He never fails us. God is Lord. He's our hiding place, our protector, and our deliverer. And that's why we're pondering the Psalms, because we find all of this incredible truth about God right here in Psalm 32. So go grab your Bible, open to Psalm 32, and we'll study this incredible lesson together. Let's begin by reading Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you to teach You and the way you should go, I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many of the woes are the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all of you with an upright heart. Wow, this Psalm is just incredibly full of God's blessing in our life when we turn our lives completely over to Him, when we are willing to repent from our sin and turn from it instead of trying to hide it. Look right here at the verse two verses. In verses one and two, we see that we are blessed when our sins are forgiven, when our sins are covered, and when our sins are not counted against us. 
The scripture also says here, which I just absolutely love, that when we are living like that, when we have our sins forgiven and we know that they're not counted against us, then we also have no deceit in our life. We're not living a lie trying to cover up the sin that is there. In forgiveness, God does not hold our sin against us. Our sin was placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So why do we so many times uh, disregard or try to handle our own sin our own way or even hide it or blame it on someone else? Just like David, this was written as a reflection before and after forgiveness. Before he was forgiven, what he felt like, and after he was forgiven. The details of David's life in this particular passage are found in 2 Samuel 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to give you the highlights. David is the king of Israel at a most prosperous and wonderful time in Israel's history. He sees and desires Bathsheba, who is not his wife. He calls her in and he sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. So to try to cover this up, he calls her husband Uriah to come in from battle and uh, to come home and to be with his wife. He could come home and spend the weekend hoping that Uriah would sleep with his wife Bathsheba. But, But when Uriah got there, he was more noble and he refused to do that. He said, how can I eat and drink and make love to my wife while Israel is in the midst of a battle? So David persists and tries to get him drunk so that he will sleep with his wife, all in an attempt to cover up David's sin. That didn't work either. So David ends up sending Uriah back to battle, but places him right on the front lines. He knows exactly what he's doing when he does that. He will be getting rid of Uriah once for all, and then he will deal with Bathsheba as he chooses. Look at all that David does to cover up and disregard his sin. He was exactly right. Uriah did die. And he disregarded that life because he was trying to cover up his own sin. So why do we do that? Why, when we know we have sinned, do we do that? So as I told you earlier, we did this lesson in our women's ministry group, and there were lots of ideas on this. Why do we do that? Some people said, well, it was pride. Pride makes us want to hide our sin. Shame wants, uh, makes us want to hide our sin. Some people said that it's just so hard to deal with, that it's, it's heavy upon us, and we don't really know how to deal with our sin right away. I think David did know how to deal with his sin, and I think many of the women who said pride in our group the other night was exactly right. I think in here, in this lesson at least, we can see that David is a bit prideful. He is the king, however, and people bow down to him all the time. They obey his commands. They do exactly what he says, and that can put people in a place of pride, can't it? It also reminds us that we are to bow down to God. We are to be in such a relationship with God that we're willing to bow down to him, not make God bow down to us. I also think as you consider these verses, Adam and Eve, do you remember in the garden in Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve had sinned, the first thing they did was run and hide from God. 
why do we think that we can hide from God too? It's kind of humorous if you think about it. <clears throat> if you read Genesis chapter 3, you'll see that they were hiding and God comes to the garden and he, he calls out, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And Adam tells him, well, Lord, I, you know, we ate from that tree and we knew that we were naked. We knew that we were naked and we needed to hide. And God said, who told you that you were naked? See, God knew all along exactly where they were, just like God knows all along exactly where we are when we're not completely honest about our sin. We cannot cover up our own sin. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can wash away the sin that's in our lives. When we try to do that, when we try to hide our sin or justify our sin or blame it on someone else, this is what happens. From Psalm 32, 3 through 4, we see that David says, When I kept silent, as I kept trying to hide my sin, it felt like my bones were wasting away and there was groaning all day long. He felt the burden of guilt and shame. Night and day, God's hand was heavy upon him and his strength was sapped. The burden of sin captures all of our attention and all of our strength. And even when we try to hide it, it is not easy to do. We push it down and we try to bury it and we try to make sure no one ever finds out about it. And the more that we try to do that, the harder it is for us to deal with it. A burden that God never intended us to bear. God moves with conviction to bring about forgiveness and freedom in our life. Just like God went to Adam and Eve and called them out and said, where are you? He does the same thing for David through the prophet Nathan. You know, Nathan is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me read you his account. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and he grew and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. David burned with anger against this man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David said, excuse me, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. That is just what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. 
It is very clear that God knew exactly what David had done. And no matter how hard he tried to hide it, God knew the truth. No matter how hard Adam and Eve tried to hide in the garden, God knew the truth and knew exactly where they were. You know, I did a little research this week as I was considering these passages, and I just looked up what does it feel like when we are guilty? What does guilt and shame do to our lives? And I found some interesting articles. One from Princeton University said this, that when people are weighed down with guilt, it's not a metaphor. There are true psychological and emotional things that happen in our life when we are bogged down with sin, when we're weighed down with sin. From the University of Health News, there was an article that was talking about how to deal with guilt, five steps to clear your conscience. It said, did you find yourself on a guilt trip all too often? It's understandable. You need to take that load off. You need to learn to deal with guilt and move on. But can I tell you that as I read the article, not one thing talked about turning to God and asking for forgiveness. It talked about trying to make things right with another person. It talked about just trying to forget about it and being good to yourself. It talked about all kinds of things except dealing with sin the way that God intends for us to deal with sin. And the only way for us to get rid of our sin, the only way for us to have a clear conscience is to go to God. As this article went on, it even talked about some of the common signs that are included in our lives whenever we feel guilt or whenever we have signs of guilt in our life. We have low self-esteem. We have excessive attempts for reparation. We want to make things right with the other person. We um, feel like we are unable to meet someone else's gaze. We can't look someone in the eye. We get facially flushed. We have anxiety, trouble sleeping, headaches, a depressed mood. We avoid people and places or events uh, that link us to the cause of our guilt. We shift all kinds of energy levels from high to low, trying to deal with it. We have emotional outbursts and even appetite changes. And to me, that's exactly what David is writing about here in chapter 32 of Psalms when he says, your hand is heavy upon me. God's hand is heavy upon us until we get things right. His strength was sapped. He felt his bones wasting away and he was groaning all day long. But once he turned to God, it was a completely different feeling. Um, I do want to make a point here to explain the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because I think many people live under the assault of condemnation. But scripture clearly tells us in Romans chapter 1 that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What God is doing here in David's life is bringing about conviction so that he will turn to God in forgiveness. There's very... Um, specific ways that God does that. And it's the Spirit of God that moves in our heart to let us know that God is convicting us. Yes, he used Nathan the prophet to show David his sin. And God could use other people or circumstances or even his word to convict us. But we will be convicted when we know that we are in sin. God will not let us just sit there and try to keep hiding it. But let me tell you that conviction has 
um, some attributes that I want to explain. The first one is conviction is very specific. Look how specific God is with David. When he is reading, um, when Nathan is reading off the list of what's going on with David, he is very clear to him. He says to him that you killed Uriah and that you took his wife. This is what you are guilty of. It also just breaks my heart to see that God said this. I gave you your master's and your house. Uh, excuse me. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your hands. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. David, there was no need for you to sin. There was no need for you to go out and do things your own way. How many times? Do we go out and do things our own way and then want to hide it because things do not work out the way that we intended? That's exactly what David is faced with here. And he is under this conviction. His sin, his specific sin is pointed out and brought to his attention. You know, John chapter 16, verse eight says this, that the spirit convicts us of sin. In other words, the spirit proves our sin according to God's word so that we can bring our life in line with what God's word says. To David, he said, why do you despise the word of the Lord? You guys, when we're living in sin, when we're keeping sin hidden in our life, Nathan, the prophet says, that we are despising the word of God. And we don't have to do that. We absolutely do not have to do that. We can come to God in repentance and he offers forgiveness and a clean conscience. Now, what's the opposite or what's the other side of conviction? This is not what conviction is. Condemnation is not conviction. Romans chapter one, like I said, tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 tells us that it's Satan that is our accuser, that he is always accusing us. And when he accuses us, it's very vague. It's not specific like conviction is. Um, he says things to our heart like this. You don't measure up. You will never be right with God. He attacks our value. Condemnation attacks our value and who we are instead of what we have done, what the sin is that we need to deal with. It causes us to be very emotional. It is also heavy, but it's the burden of shame and guilt, and it brings us to a place of hopelessness, not a place of grace and mercy. Things like this, God doesn't care for you. God could never use you again after what you did. You will never, ever change. How many times have you done this same thing? You are a lost cause. You know, 1 John chapter 1 tells us this. If we claim that we have no sin, then the truth of God is not in us. We are deceived. And we are deceived when we don't bring our sin to God. Conviction is what brings us to a place of hopefulness where we find grace and mercy. And conviction is rooted in God's love. So do you see the difference between conviction and condemnation? So I want to stop here and just say this. If you know in your heart that you have truly asked God to forgive you of a sin and you have truly repented from that sin, then even though 
you still feel bad about it sometimes or guilty about it or shameful about it, I want you to remember that you do not walk in condemnation. If God has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. If God has forgiven you, there's no one else that you have to answer to. God is the one who forgives us and reconciles us to himself. And you know, the beautiful thing about forgiveness is oftentimes God even brings restoration in the relationships that are part of our sin. God is so good in that he is the one who redeems. He is the one who conquers sin. He is the one who brings us in right standing with him and even in right standing with other people. So don't walk in the condemnation. If you know that you have asked God to forgive you because John First John goes on to tell us that if we confess our sin, instead of being deceived and hiding our sin, if we confess our sin, that God is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. Ladies, you can go in your Bible and circle that word all. Jesus speaks in absolutes to us. He tells us that all of our sin will be forgiven and that we will be completely cleansed. We will not have a guilty conscience. We will not have that heaviness of heart. We can truly walk in the forgiveness that God gives to us. Psalm 32 goes on and it says this. In chapter 32, verse 5, David then says this. Look, I'm not going to cover this up anymore. I'm going to confess and I am going to be forgiven. He says, don't cover up your sin. Confess your sin to God, right? And we can have a clear conscience. Not just that our sin is forgiven, but we can have a clear conscience as well. Psalm 32, 6 goes on and says this. We can pray to you for forgiveness and surely the mighty waters will not reach us. Waves of destruction. Think about that. The waves of destruction won't hit our lives. We won't have unforgiveness and bitterness and guilt and shame and regret. We will be able to walk in the very forgiveness of God. Psalm 32 7 goes on to say this, you are my hiding place. We do not need to run from a God We can go and hide in him instead of hiding from him. We can run to him and he will be our protector and he will surround us with songs of forgiveness completely from sin. We are completely delivered from sin, from the power of sin, from the guilt of sin, from the shame of sin in our lives. Now, I will tell you that we do not always Get rid of the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin can remain in our lives even after God forgives us. But we do not have to be driven by the power of sin or driven by the guilt that sin puts in our lives. In Psalm 32, 10 through 11, the psalm finishes up like this. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad seeing all of you with an upright heart. Through forgiveness, God moves us from wasting away, from aching, from a heaviness, and from that shame that this this psalm talks about. And he moves us to a place where we're singing and rejoicing and we have an upright heart. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to you that God can move you from this place of shame and heaviness to a place of rejoicing and singing. 
We do not have to live with the torment of the burden of unconfessed sin. One more illustration I would like to remind you about that scripture tells us is Jesus is our Passover lamb. In fact, John the Baptist declared that Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In Exodus, the Passover was not based on the people who were inside the house. If you remember in the book of Exodus, on the day of the Passover, the firstborn in every house would die that night if they had not put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. All of the Egyptian firstborn passed away, but the people of Israel, God's people who had put the blood on the doorpost, just as God had commanded, when death came that night, they escaped that. They were not part of it. The Passover was not based on who was inside the house, but the blood that was on the doorpost. So what do we learn from this lesson? We've got to run to the cross and ask God for forgiveness. He is the one who offers it because of our incredible Jesus as our lamb who offered himself for us. You know, Romans tells us that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we couldn't do anything to make our life right with God, Christ died for us. He died in our place. He is our beautiful, perfect substitute that died in our place. And because of that, we can run to God and ask for forgiveness. We can rest in his deliverance and in the forgiveness that God offers us because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we can run to the cross and we can ask God for forgiveness. But you know, there's one other thing that we can do. We can offer forgiveness to other people. Because we are forgiven, we need to rightly forgive others. Is there someone that God is asking you to forgive? Someone that he's laid on your heart that you know things are not right with. You need to really forgive them. You know, forgiving someone doesn't let them off the hook. Forgiving them doesn't mean what they did to you is right. Forgiving them is what God says we should do. And when we do that, we will be able to walk in freedom like we've never known before. Refusing to forgive other people places us in the, in the bitterness and in the, the blame game and in the the place where we are always carrying that burden. We don't have to do that. That is not what God would have for us. Perhaps later on next year, as we um, study another lesson, we'll talk a little bit more about what it looks like and what it means to forgive other people. But you know in your heart, if God wants you to forgive, and I just say, if it's difficult, if it's hard, if you feel like you can't do it, then run to Jesus and pray and ask him to give you the strength and ask him to give you the courage to do that. And I guarantee you, you'll be glad that you did. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the way that you are the one who made a way for us to be completely right with you, completely justified, completely righteous because of what Jesus did on our behalf. We thank you 
for the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And we thank you, Lord, that it's not just our sin that you deal with, but even our guilty conscience. You get rid of our shame, you get rid of our guilt, and you allow us to be able to rejoice and sing and walk in your deliverance. So, Lord, I do pray for any woman that is hearing this podcast today. Lord, if they're dealing with unforgiveness in their own life and they don't want to forgive someone because of real pain or heartache, Lord, I pray that you would help them and show them how they can walk in that forgiveness. And then, Lord, for anyone who's trying to hide sin or try to run away from the sin that they know they have in their life, I pray, Lord, instead of running away, they would run straight to you, that they would run to the cross and they would walk in the deliverance and the forgiveness that you offer us. Father, we thank you that you are our protector, that you are everything this psalm says that you are and more. And for that, we praise you and we adore you. And we ask that you do all of these things in the power of your name, Jesus. Amen.